0: This week this week we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayishlach and continuing where we last left off at the end of last week. Last week, uh, Yaakov decided he had had enough. He took his wives and his children and he departed from his father-in-law. And we begin this week, we'll do our quick overview of the parsha and then delve into our Psukim. Yaakov is now going to be reunited with his brother. He's going to have to confront the brother whom he stole a bracha from and ran away from and he doesn't know who he's going to meet and uh, so he sends uh, ahead of him we know we have the tradition he sent three things gifts and he sent uh, davening he davened that everything worked out well and Muhammad lastly he prepared for war he was ready for all of the options he sends a delegation ahead of him they come back he makes the military preparations for war he sends all of these gifts and then before he ultimately reunites with Esau he goes back he goes back for the Pacham Kitanim, He had forgotten small jugs. And he leaves his family. He leaves everyone in order to return to reclaim these small jugs, which our rabbis tell us is an allusion to Pacham Kitanam of Hanukkah, connection between Vayishlach and, and anticipating the holiday of, of Hanukkah. When he goes back, he wrestles with the angel. He confronts an angel. Who is this angel? Who is he wrestling with? We, it's unclear exactly. It's There's different traditions. But uh, we saw last year an incredible rashbam. The Rashbam last year we spent some time on. You could still listen to it on our website or on Torah. But we spent time last year. Rashbam says Yaakov was an avoider. That was his personality. He hated conflict. He always avoided conflict. And here too, he's anticipating reuniting with his brother. Why, why was he going back? Says the Rashbam. If you look at his actual language, the Rashbam writes, He was He was fleeing. He was trying to run away. Yaakov thought he could run away from his destiny. And the Torah is here to teach it. Karsh Baruch tells him, You cannot run from your destiny. You are destined to face Esav. You are destined to have a lifetime confrontation and conflict. Esav Sonez Yaakov, your progeny and offspring, will have a lifelong, uh, fateful conflict with Esav. You cannot run away from your problems. He wrestles, which puts him back on the track of his Destiny. We, we're going to continue where we left off last year with the prohibition of uh, getanasha, sh- sh- the prohibition of getanasha that we're not allowed to eat the Giranusha as a memorial, as a remembrance of what happens. Yaakov then encounters his brother. They have a fascinating exchange, which we'll delve into today. Esav says, "Let's go together." Yaakov says, "You know what? We're good. It was nice to see you. Let's go our separate ways." Yaakov arrives in Shechem, he is Shalem, he is whole, and he thinks he is whole. Rashi says, Shalom Begufo, bemamono, Mamono, he's complete, his body is healed, he's financially solvent, he has his Torah, he thinks he has everything, and his problems begin again. His daughter Dina is abducted, and there's an outrage. His uh, two sons um, perform a great act of deception in Levi and Shimon in order to attack the people of Shechem, they have them have a bris and on the third day when they're the most vulnerable vulnerable, they attack them and they wipe them out. Yaakov is dissatisfied. We know that because at the end of, of Sefer Brashas when Yaakov is giving out the brachos he gives Musa to Levi and Shimon, when he thinks that he, they risked they, they jeopardized the security the safety of all of their family through their actions. Yaakov then journeys back to Beit El which is the beginning of last week's parsha, where he had the dream. Rivka and Devorah die. Uh, God blesses and renames Yaakov, and um, Benyamin is now born. And Rachel Limenu dies; she's buried on the on the side. Keva Rachel. She's not in Samach Pela as we know. Yaakov and Yitzchak are reunited. Yitzchak dies, and then we end the parsha with Esav separates himself from Yaakov, and we have this genealogy at the end of the parsha. Okay, so that's a quick overview of the parsha. What I want to delve into is I want to pick up where we left off at the end of last year. And according to my calculations, where we end up at the end of last year is the equivalent of Shlishi, which is Parak Lamed chapter 32, Pasuk Lamed verse 31, which corresponds with the stone Chumash, page 176. Okay? 176. Just as an aside, I saw something fascinating, that... um, I shared with you that last year we, we uh, spoke about the Rashpam. Yaakov was trying to run away. What was this whole idea of Vayivaser Yaakov Levado, Vayave Kishimo? Yaakov was left alone and he fought and he struggled and he, and he won. We'll see again when we talk about the Gerenasher momentarily. But what was this fight that he had? Look at Unklus. Very, very interesting. Yaakov wrestles. Look what Unklush says. Pas Go back to Lamed Be'ezchafei. Says Unklos <muchos> Va'yivasar Ya'akov levadova ye'avek ish imo. Ya'akov was alone and he wrestled with a man. Ve'ishtar Ya'akov bilchodohi. Ya'akov was all alone. Ve'ishtadel gavra imei adislik tzafra. Ishtadel. Unklos translates va'ye'avek to wrestle as... Ishtadel. What's the root of Ishtadel? Or what word do we use often? Ishtadlas. Ishtadlus. Ishtadel, ishtadlut Ishtadel means human initiative, effort. What does it mean, Yaakov wrestled? Says unklus Ishtadel, he had to try, he had to exert effort. The Rambam in his parish Mishnah is quotes this unklus. the Rambam in Pirkei Avos on the second chapter, on the sixth Mishnah. The sixth Mishnah in the second chapter of Pirkei Avos ends, makom she'einan Hashim, Ishtadel, The Mishnah says, "In a place that there are no men, hish tadel, make an effort, try to be a man." Now, classically, we understand that to mean if no one else is stepping up, step up to bat, fill the void, be the man, be a leader. Don't wait for others and be a follower. If no one else has stepped up, you step up and be a man. But the Rambam interprets this Mishnah entirely differently. Based on the unklos in our parsha, writes the Rambam, Wrestle with yourself. the Rama Rambam says, "What does it mean?" It means a place where you have no teachers. So a person might say, I had no one to show me what the right way is. I had no one to model for me. I had no one to instruct me. I had no one to inspire me. I'm not accountable. Don't hold me responsible. I misbehaved. I was inappropriate because there was no one to teach me. Says the Rambam, that's no excuse. And that's what the Mishnah means. In a place where you don't have a mentor, in a place where you don't have a teacher, in a place where you don't have a role model, be your own teacher. Make the effort to inspire yourself. Torah can't be found among those who are arrogant, among those who have an ego. person has to be humble, person has to teach themselves, the person has to be willing to take the initiative. So the Rambam reinterprets, B'makam She'inan nashim doesn't mean where there's no one, you step up and be the leader. B'makam She'inan Hashim means where there's no teacher, where there's no source of inspiration, where there's no mentor. H'shtadah elios ish. Wrestle with yourself. Be your own teacher. Hold yourself accountable. Push yourself be ambitious, aspire to greatness. Even if there's no one externally pushing you, internally push yourself because that's what Yaakov did. Yaakov wrestled with himself. Uncle says, means wrestle with yourself, teach yourself, hold yourself accountable, inspire yourself to inspire others. That's the Ram, perish, based on Unklus' translation of what it means to wrestle here. Okay, we are on Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Perak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Yaakov has this whole dialogue with the angel, with his Yetzirah, or whatever the case may be. <coughs> he names the place <laughs> Pniel. <laughs> he wakes up from this encounter, and he names the place Pniel. I have seen the face of God face to face, mm-hmm. and yet vatinatzel nafshi. I was spared. I am alive. Doesn't it say somewhere else that he was the only one that saw Hashem Yeah, it does. It does. What does it mean? He saw God. He doesn't mean literally he saw panim him. because it was the it was the agent of God, the emissary. It was the angel. It was the tsar. panim Here could be used as a euphemism. Yeah, that's a good point, though. So what happens? Continuing pasuk lamed. Gimmel. actually look at the Kliyakar for a moment in Lamed Aleph. says the Kliyakar Who did he fight? he fought the angel Samael Samael says the Kliyakar is as he discussed earlier we talked about it last year Samael comes from the word to blind this angel the opponent of, of, uh, of Yaakov was the angel who sought to blind him how did he blind him? To so blind is common sense. In other words, what is, how does the Yetzer Hara work? How do our adversaries beat us? The Yetzer Hara, this evil inclination, our own impulse that, that tries to draw us to the wrong way, the way it defeats us is it blinds us. It tries to get us not to see the reality. It blinds us from common sense. And look at the great men who've destroyed their lives, General Petraeus most recently, although it seems that not a week or a month goes by. How does it work? Samael, their Yetzir Hara, blinds them. If they could objectively evaluate, is it worth risking everything, my reputation, everything I've worked towards, my entire life, all of my achievement, my family, is it worth it for this woman, for this moment, for this pleasure? If a person were able to see clearly, they would never... Is this chocolate cake worth it? The moment on the lips, the lifetime on the hips, is it worth it? <laughs> it's totally not worth it. So how does the Yetzirah work? Be it the chocolate cake, or be it things with much greater consequences, even than that. Because Samael, it is Samae it blinds us. We're blinded at that moment. If we could see clearly, you know, Maseel Susharim writes something incredible. Maseel Susharim has an amazing observation. Right, So of he says, "We are lower than animals, because an animal, an animal identifies something which is harmful and has an avoidance, runs away. An animal senses something which is toxic, which is dangerous, which is destructive, which is harmful, and the animal runs away. And the human being, there's something destructive and dangerous, and what do we do? We call it lunch. We call it a snack. We have it for dinner. We spend money that we don't have, we eat foods we shouldn't eat, we damage relationships in self-destructive ways. It says the Ramchal, in that sense, we're lower than an animal. We are drawn towards that which is self-destructive instead of like an animal fleeing and running away from it. So what's the methodology? How does the Sahara work? Samael. It blinds us. It can only work if we're blind. Because if we would be able to continue to see with common sense, we would never give in to that impulse. Impulse works because at the moment of impulse, we are blinded to truth. And that's why we give in to the impulse. Yeah, so so does he give a, um, a solution? Oh, so he says. So the Kliyakar says, why does it say? really have to continue the next Pasuk. Look at the next Pasuk for a moment. The sun came up, Kashiravaras Penuel, Vuhut al The sun arises and Yaakov is limping on his hip. Says the Kliyakar, when the sun rises, he sees God, Panim el Panim. The answer is we need to illuminate our lives. If the Sahara seeks to blind us and that's when we're vulnerable, then we need to make sure that we're never blinded. We need to preserve our eyesight. We need to make sure that we illuminate our lives so we can see clearly. When we see clearly, we'll see panim al panim. When we are mindful and self-conscious and see, does it make sense to eat this? Does it make sense to say this? Does it make sense to look at this? Does it make sense to listen to this? Does it make sense to spend my time on this? Does it make sense to give in to this desire, impulse, instinct, intuition? When we illuminate our lives then we see panim al panim, we can see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we see that which makes sense. How does Yaakov heal himself? Yaakov is damaged by Samael. Yaakov is damaged by the fact that he became blinded. Blinded by the Yetzirah. What's the antidote? How does he heal himself from that experience? The sun rises to illuminate to see clearly, to reverse the blindness, to restore the eyesight. And that is the healing. So I don't understand. If the rising of the sun... Caused him to be healed. Why does it say he was limping on his leg? Which is it? Was he limping and still damaged, or did the sun rise and he was healed? Asked the Kli What it means is through the sun's rising, the healing came. Samael sought to, to hit him. Vuhu, Samael's impact was felt, it left a residual impact. He carried that wound with him when he had allowed himself to become blinded. Because sometimes when we allow ourselves to become blinded and we give in to an impulse, so if you gave in to an impulse and you had that piece of chocolate cake because that moment you were blinded as to what was the right thing to do, so you work out a little harder, so you go on a better diet, you can reverse the impact of eating that chocolate cake. But there are decisions that we make when we allow ourselves to be blinded that I don't want to say are irreversible, in a sense everything is reversible, but there are decisions that we make which, like the angel of, of Esav, leave a wound. And we carry that wound and we carry that blemish. And that's what it means here, yeah. is that Yaakov carried the wound of the impact of allowing himself to be blinded. But when the sun rose, now he saw panim apanim, Now at least he could see. And seeing was part of the very methodology of healing. What was it? So that's an excellent question. You know, we mentioned last year the, the, a, vort, a, a fantastic vort of the Rav. Rabbi Salavitchik said, if you look throughout this parsha, you see in the Torah dedicates a number of psukim. Yaakov goes back, he's trying to recover these small jugs. He has this wrestling match back and forth and back and forth and they have a whole conversation. What's your name? You tell me your name, here's your name. And then he awakens and he's left with this wound and the, we, we memorialize it by not eating the sciatic nerve and says the Rav, what were they fighting about? Were they fighting about money? Were they fighting about power? Were they fighting over a woman? Were they fighting Yankees, Red Sox? What were they fighting about? It doesn't say what they were fighting about. So the Rav said something magnificent. He said, that's the point. It's not important what they were fighting about. It's that Yaakov was engaged in the struggle. It's a little bit different than what the Kliyakar was saying. Rabbi Salavich says, the point of this narrative is You have to be engaged in a struggle. It's almost like the Rambam in the Parish Mishnahis that we just said. Be a mishtadel. Be a person who's exerting effort. Life's not supposed to come easy. Don't just do the things that come easy to you, but exert effort. Aspire. Have ambition. Work. Take initiative. Be engaged in a wrestling match. That's what the narrative's teaching us. What were they fighting about? It doesn't matter. Be engaged in a fight. Wrestle with yourself until you become better. In fact, the Zohar tells us, do you know when they were at this wrestling match took place? Which night on our calendar was it that Yaakov returned for these small jugs and met the angel of Esau and ended up wrestling? Says the Zohar, it was Kol Nidre night. It was Kol Nidre night. And that's our tradition that Kol Nidre night, we, like Yaakov, Kol Nidre night, were wrestling. We're wrestling with ourselves. We spent 25 hours in a wrestling match trying to grow, trying to break free, trying to improve. It was kol Nidra night. So you're right, Molly. The Torah doesn't tell us what were they fighting about. but And the Rav says that's the point. It's unimportant. What is important is to be engaged in a fight, to be engaged in a wrestling match. That is the, uh, that is the point. It's interesting, it's interesting, this notion that when the sun rose, he was able to be healed. The... Um, if you look at the svorno, the Sforno says Vivavadja Seforno. The right way to read the Pesach, it's kind of written out of order. It says the sun rose, and then he limped on his, on his leg. But this one tells us to read it differently. After the sun rose, he was healed. Like we will be in the future. What is the image of the sun rising? A new dawn. It's the idea of, a, of the redemption. Yaakov walks around with this limp, like the Jewish people are limping through history. But just as the sun rose once again for Yaakov, so too the sun will rise for us. So though Yaakov has to confront an enemy, and though he defeats and is triumphant against the enemy, the enemy leaves a wound, leaves him with this wound that he carries, but the sun rises for Yaakov and says, the Sverno, the sun will rise for us as well. And that is the period, that is the time of the of the redemption the Rashbam understands it very differently than Svarno Svarno understands it that the order is he was limping and when the sun rose he became healed the Rashpam understands it differently says the Rashbam when the sun rose that's when he learned that he was wounded just as it says with Leia Vihinehi leah. Yaakov wakes up in the morning and he leans over Leia. and he goes, "Oh my God, it's Leah." <laughs> so vehinehi <laughs> So similarly, means the sun rose and Yaakov realized he was wounded. Maybe he had an adrenaline rush. Maybe he had an, his endorphins kicked in, and that's how he, he survived this wrestling match. But then the sun rose. When the settled, he realized that he was he realized that he was wounded. I saw an interesting pshat that says. How do you resolve this contradiction? Which is it? When the sun rose, he was healed. Or when the sun rose, he was limping. If he was limping, he wasn't healed. If he was healed, he wasn't limping. How do you understand? How do you resolve this this contradiction? So the answer is, when the sun rose and he saw that he was limping, that's how he was healed. In other words, in the cloak of darkness, when we're blinded, we don't even realize our problems. But when the sun rises and there's illumination and we see our own faults and we see our mistakes and we see our vulnerability and we see our fragility, then we're able to confront our mistakes and that is the healing process. So even if you have a limp and don't know it, you can't possibly be sicker. But if you have a limp, if you have a wound, if you have a blemish and you're aware of it and you know that there's something wrong that you need to protect and you need to favor, that's part of the healing process. So, a person who thinks that, you know, let's say a person has this wound, they have this this um, blind spot that they speak lashon hara, that they get jealous easily, that they get filled with anger or rage. So, so long as they don't understand, that, confront the idea that they have this negative character trait, they can't possibly heal from it. So they're walking around with a limp. A limp is called rage. A limp is called jealousy. Their limp is called um, addiction. The limp is called impulse control. All kinds of limps we walk around with. But the very healing process is when we, when we put a spotlight on it, when we shine a light on it and we're willing to acknowledge and confront it, that is the very process of healing. That's the very process of healing itself. So that's a way to resolve what looks to be this, uh, this contradiction. Okay, continuing in the Pesukim. Continuing in the psukhah. Al-Kain, as a result of this whole episode, Pesuk, Lam and Gimel, Al-Kain, because Yaakov was limping, he was wounded in his leg. Al-Kain lo b'nei Yisrael as nasha as nasha. Therefore, the Jewish people are warned not to eat the hind quarter of the sciatic nerve. Asher al-Kafayarach ara yomazah, that's found in the hind quarter of the leg, the thigh, until today. Kinaga be y'erach Yaakov be girhanasha. Because the angel struck the. the um, the sinew of Yaakov hit Yaakov in his hip socket and displaced his sciatic nerve and therefore we cannot eat it we cannot eat it until today this is the third mitzvah that's in the Sefer Brashus the last mitzvah we had Puruvu, the obligation to have children we had the mitzvah of Brismila, the obligation of circumcision this is the third mitzvah we find in Sefer Brashus of course we observe them because they were repeated at our sinai but the third mitzvah namely that of Gid Anasha. it's kind of funny why do we memorialize this experience that Yaakov had by continuing to observe the Salacha? And we're all familiar with it. We're not allowed to eat the sciatic nerve in both legs of, of, uh, of kosher animals, both male or female kosher animals. And um, therefore we require what we call trabering. Nikur, the nikur, which is a tremendous skill, the ability to remove the nerve. We don't trust our ability to do it. We don't generally eat that portion of the meat. In Israel, you can still find that portion of the meat. Experts know how to do it. But to remove the sciatic nerve, not only the sciatic nerve, there's two parts. There's the inner thigh and there's the outer thigh. The inner thigh is the of the biblical prohibition of Gid Anasha. There's a nerve that continues in the outer portion of the leg, which is midar which is Rabbinic. There's a whole discussion of the Gemara and Chulan. Shuman Gid Anasha is the fat the fat that is um, connected to the sciatic nerve also prohibited. We have to remove that as well. Is it Tom Is there a taste to the getanasha? A whole discussion, a whole parak in Gedanasha in, in Mesech Eschulon. And big discussion in Shochanar. But again, here it's fascinating because we take the narrative, we take the story of Sefer and it has impact and implications in our practical law, in what we can eat which is somewhat unusual that we memorialize it. We don't memorialize the Brisbane Absarim that God made a promise to Avram. We don't memorialize the Akedah. We don't memorialize you know, uh, Levi and Shimon killing Shechem over Dina. We don't memorialize Yosef preserving the economy of Egypt. But here we memorialize this experience of Yaakov through a practice that continues as the Torah itself says, until today. What is it exactly that we are memorializing? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? So the Meforshim on the Torah, in the Koros Gedolos, which is where we generally turn, you don't find a lot. The Sforno and the uh, Rashbam and the Ramban all take a similar parallel track. If you look at the Sforno, he says, al Kane b'nei Yisrael, ha'hezak hezak he, he says, you know, this experience that Yaakov had We need to be familiar with it We need to remember it We need to continue to think about it, it Says the Rashbam You know why we don't need the sciatic nerve? To remember the perseverance, the tenacity, the resolve of Yaakov And the miracle that God performed That he didn't die What an incredible miracle That though he was so vulnerable He did not die That's what the, the Rashbam says he was triumphant. Even though he was damaged, he continued to limp away and that is the story of Jewish history. Indeed, that's how the Sefer Achinuch understands it. Mishor She'a Mitzvah, the Sefer Achinuch, writes that the root of the mitzvah of not eating the Gid Anasha is that just as Yaakov limped away, so too we, the Jewish people, limp. But as Yaakov, the sun rose, as I said earlier, so too we will have Redemption. This experience is a microcosm of the Jewish experience, and therefore we incorporate it into our diet in order to retain our sense of faith. That though we limp through Jewish history, we too will persevere as did as did Yaakov. That's what the Sefer Achenech writes. Rav Kook has a very interesting interpretation. Rav Kook says, "You know why? You know why we don't eat the sciatic nerve? To remember, to remember that military confrontation, that wrestling." That fighting mano a mano is a last is a last um, resort. resort. That we avoid it. That it's not the Jewish ideal. That we try to use diplomacy. That Yaakov made a mistake. That Yaakov should have used diplomacy in order to avoid physical confrontation. That physical confrontation is not the Jewish way. Says Rav Kook, we're prepared to do it when necessary. We just saw that. For eight days in Gaza, in Israel, we are prepared to do whatever is necessary to protect our own people, but it's a last resort. And so the way that we, the way that we uh, capture that ideal, says Rav Kook, is by refraining to eat the sciatic nerve, by not eating the gid Anasha, We remember that when we we the animal, we eat the animal, but we say, you know what? Yaakov was hurt because he he fought person to person, and in order to remember that it's not the ideal to fight we therefore refrain from eating the Gid nasha. Interesting interpretation of Rav Cook. I saw a very interesting uh, interpretation, though I, I think the conclusion, I would suggest is a little bit differently. Uh, Theodore Steinberg, who was an associate editor of the Jewish Bible Quarterly, I don't know anything about him, his orientation, I know nothing about him, but he writes very interestingly that, you know, the Torah tells us that the reason we don't eat the uh, Gid nasha is... Um, Where's the puzzle? Al kain lo yachlu benei zori get a nasha. The gid hanasha. What does this word mean? Gid hanasha. Gid means the sinew, the nerve. What's hanasha mean? What does hanasha mean? So nasha, gid hanasha. The root is nasha. What does it mean? So he says, if you look several times in Tanakh, the word Nasheh means forgetting, or forgetfulness. Right, in Baratheus, Yosef names his eldest son. What's Yosef's older son named? <laughs> Minasheh, why? Ki nashani Elohim be'eretz ani. Nashani, God caused me to forget my stu- my suffering, my struggling. You see, in elsewhere, in Tanakh, the word nasha means to forget. So he wants to suggest that Gid Ha-Nashe means the Gid that allowed him to forget. Here Yaakov is about to reunite with his brother, there's a lot of water under the bridge. There's a tremendous amount of pain and baggage they both bring to the reunion. Yaakov is willing to forget. He wrestles with the angel of Esav. That experience of that wrestling match purges all of the bad feeling, purges all of the bad experience, all the bad history, the bad blood. And now he has the Gid this nerve that is the source of his forgetting and he carries that with him so that he's able to reunite with Asaph the only way he was able to reunite authentically was forgetting if we want to reunite with people with whom we've had our differences, we have to be willing to forget that's his interpretation it's interesting, it's an interesting suggestion Gid hanasha, the Gid that is reflective of the fight that allowed him to forget and to move on and to reunite with with um, with Esau that's the suggestion of by the way, he brings another example. In Dvarim, Moshe at the end of his life, he rebukes the people and he tells them, Sur Yiladcha Teshi. The rock that you brought forth, Teshi, you have forgotten. Teshi is Nashani, Gid The same root you find in Tanakh. This word means forgetfulness. You could actually suggest the opposite, which is the Gid means, it's the sciatic nerve, which will never allow us to forget. Yaakov went through this experience, he limps away, he carries it with him. It is the Gid HaNasheh, it is the Gid which prevents forgetfulness, which doesn't allow us. Because if we forget our own history and if we we forget the confrontations and if we forget who Esav is and the formidable challenge that he poses, then we will revisit and repeat history. So Yaakov limps away and we continue to memorialize it by not eating the Gid hanashah. One can suggest the Gid that prevents Hanasheh. The Gid that doesn't allow us to forget. The Gid that makes sure we don't forget. So that every time I sit down to my steak and I say, boy would I love to be eating the Gid Hanashah but I can't, you know why? I can't be in Hanasheh, I can't forget. I won't forget what Yaakov went through and I need to be emboldened, the Jewish people need to be emboldened in order to in order to survive. So that is another interpretation of how we memorialize maybe the, the um the geta Another suggestion is by the Netziv. The Netziv writes in his Zaymek Davar on Pasuk Lamed Gimel Alkein says the Netziv Alkein Liskor LeDoros Mashire LaAvinu Yaakov. We memorialize this for generations to remember what happened to Yaakov. Adam. This is the top of the hip bone that that moves when man walks. Zeba Simenbo. The geta so here it is. This is what the Nisif writes. Shelo ye he adam kashe ke gid. A person should not be hardened, a person should not be um so so rigid like a like a gid writes the Nisif. Kasha ke gid. Don't be so rigid, don't be so strong-minded. Kadhisam sahas tanas, the gamar tanas tafkhaf malaf, writes: Laolam ye he adam rach ke kana will ye kashe ke eres. The Gemara there in Tanis says that a person should spend their life always flexible like a reed and not hard like a cedar tree. Mm-hmm. Try to be flexible like a reed and not hard like a cedar tree. So the netziv basically says, quoting this Gemara and Tanis, that the mistake that Yaakov made is that he was rigid. And the punishment therefore was um, on, his, on his leg. Very fascinating. He says there were two battles. If you look, it says, Vayi'avek twice. Vayi'vaser Yaakov levadov v'yayavek ishima, which is Pasuk Hafei. Yaakov was left alone and a man... An angel wrestles with him. And then again it look, if you look, it says uh, <coughs> the next Pasuk, <coughs> when he wrestles when he wrestles with him. So you see that. Twice, Yaakov. It seems the Netziv sort of picks up on the fact that it seems like Yaakov goes back and he starts to fight again, a second round, and that's why he's punished, and that's when he's hurt. He's not hurt from the original confrontation. It's when he goes back and he fights a second time. It says Vayavik twice. So it's when he goes back and he pursues the altercation. It's when he goes back and he reignites and reinitiates the fight because he is Kasha kigid. He is so strong and inflexible. Um, and rigid and starts to fight again, that's when God punishes him and that's when he is reminded that he has to be more flexible. And that's the message to us as the Nitziv. The reason that we don't need the Gid Anasheh is to remember not to be kasha Gid. Don't live your life so inflexible. Don't live your life so rigid. Don't live your life in pursuit of confrontation. But be willing to be willing to resolve, be willing to bend, be willing to be flexible Travel the high road. Walk away. Be willing to uh, be willing to walk away. That is a midah which is so important to us that one should be willing to walk away. The um, Clean, uh, says also something very interesting. Okay, hold on, hold that thought. R- Rabbi Baruch Simon, when he quotes this uh, netziv, Simon is one of the Rosh Yeshiva Yeshiva University. He adds the Gemara in Tanis continues and tells a story that a person should be flexible like a reed, like kash, It should be um, rach kekane. And not hard like an eriz, like a cedar tree. He says, What do we make a quill from? That which we write the Sefer Torah? Is it made from an eriz or a kane? Is it made from a cedar tree or from a reed? It's made from a reed. The quill. The reed was zocha, that it's a utensil to write a Sefer Torah because it's flexible. Because that's the midah that the Torah is written with. We write our own Sefer Torah. The proper way to live our lives is to be like that reed, to be bending, to be flexible. To be willing to, to accommodate, not to be so rigid and inflexible, which results in, in conflict. So Yaakov walks away having been damaged. The conflict, because he was so inflexible, he was too rigid. My Simon quotes the Binyan Shlomo, quotes a Zohar. How many Gidim are there in the human body? Shesah Gidim. Shesah means 365. We have 365. Nerves are 365 sinews in the body. So the Zohar says that corresponds with the 365 days of the year. The, year. the Gid corresponds with says the Zohar Tishabov which is the day of destruction of the Hamikdash. The experience of the Gid being so rigid, being so inflexible, whatever mistakes Yaakov made, being blinded by the Yitzhahara, carrying that with us was the uh, is also the source of the what happens on Tishabav and therefore the Gedanusha one of the 365 one of the 365 gidim that we live with is uh, corresponds with corresponds with Tishabav okay continuing one last interpretation so so far what did we see why is it we refrain from eating the Gedanusha we saw the Rashbam says it's a reminder there's a miracle that took place That Yaakov persevered though he was attacked and wrestled. He withstood, he was injured, he walked away. But we remember the triumph by not eating the Gid HaNashe. Now the truth is, (laughs) ask the Chizkuni, this is our final approach, (laughs) ask the Chizkuni, what kind of remembrance is that? If you want to remember the miracle of, of having been victorious and triumphant against the angel of Esav, make a Suda Soda, have a meal, do something positive. Why do we refrain from eating the area where he was wounded as a memorial? That doesn't sound like a very positive thing. It sounds like a negative thing. So the Chizkuni says something amazing. Chizkuni writes that what we're commemorating by not eating of the Gidah is the sad fact what left Yaakov vulnerable to being attacked and to having to wrestle. What were the circumstances? What was the context that left Yaakov vulnerable? Vayivaser Yaakov? livado. Yaakov was alone. Is it good to be alone? How do you know it's not good to be alone? Lotove Sa' Adam Livado. God said, God Himself said, It's not good for man to be alone. Lotove Yo Saadam, was alone. Yaakov was alone. Why was Yaakov alone? Because his 11 children, his family, his friends, his entourage didn't go with him. They left him alone. They left him to go back for the jugs by himself. And when he went by himself and when he went alone, he was vulnerable. And therefore this is a reminder, when we eat of the Gira Nasheh and we remind ourselves of the wound that Yaakov uh, incurred, we are reminding ourselves never to leave another Jew alone. Never to leave them vulnerable. Never to leave them lonely but rather to be with them, to offer them the camaraderie, the companionship, and the sense of community that provides them the protection. Rav David Miller, one of my Rebbeim from Grus, who actually right now is in Yeshiva University, he taught that one of the pivotal words of Yaakov Avinu, we found, we spoke about it last week, Yaakov over and over again uses the word Achai. Last week we said, who is Yaakov? Where did he come from to tell the shepherds at the well, hey buddies, feed your sheep. What are you doing sitting over here shmoozing by the water cooler? Right? He gives them that musr. And we saw a among the Maforshim, a debate among the rishonim. Was he defensive because the animals, tsar balichayim, they deserve to drink. Was he defensive of the employers? They're paying you for this time. You don't deserve to be sitting here being lazy. But whichever it was, where did he come off giving them musr? Where did he come off rebuking them? So I shared with you an interpretation. It's because when he first met them and he walked up to the well, what did he say to them? Achai. He said to them, "Achai." If you look now, when he encounters Esav, what does he say to Esav? Achi. We're going to get to the portion now. When Yaakov first sees Esav, what does he say to him? Achy, my brother. At the end of the parsha, when Yaakov is talking to his children, to his sons, at the very end of the parsha, what does he tell them? He views his sons as echav. He calls his own sons not my sons, but brothers. So you see, Yaakov is characterized by this name, Ach, a brother. He calls the shepherds Achai. He calls Esav Achi. He calls his sons Echav. What is the root of the word Ach? Says Rav David Miller, Alef Ches. The root Alef Ches. What does it mean? It means to bind together, to bridge, to bond, to create connection. The Allah is that an ovel, right? in ovel, a mourner, tears kriya. The Shulchan says, according to Gemara Moed Katun, is the mourner allowed to mend the garment no, what is the term the Gemara uses? Depends if it's a mourner for a parent, for a sibling, 30 days a year. All different alachas, whether you're allowed to mend the garment. Today we throw out the garment. No one wants to keep it. But could you, those days, it was very expensive. You tore Korea in Talmudic times. You had one, one set of clothing. It wasn't that you went shopping. There was no Black Friday. So what does it mean to, how do you, what's the term the Gemara uses? What's the term the Gemara uses to sew together the garment? To be me'acheh. To is to mend, is to sew, is to bind together the torn garment. So the root, ach, alef ches, to be is the capacity to connect. That's Yaakov. Achai, echav, achi. Yaakov, se- Yaakov seeks to connect with others. So said of David Miller, the Gid commemorates the fact that Yaakov was alone. That's the chizkuni. It's not a happy occasion. You're not making a Sudas Hoda. You're not making a Sudas Mitzvah. Oh, Yaakov is triumphant. According to the Rashbam, Yaakov experiences this miracle. You should have made a Sudas Hoda. Why is it we, we um, abstain from eating something? We should run to eat it to remember that Yaakov should be a mitzvah to eat to get on Asher every Shabbos to remember Yaakov was triumphant. Says the Chizkuni, no, it's not a happy fact. It's a sad fact. Why was Yaakov vulnerable? Because he was alone, and when we need to get, when we don't need to get an asha, we are remembering never leave another Jew alone. Achi. maybe says Rav David Miller, maybe Shimon and Levi did shuva. when they step forward and they defend Dina. What are they, how are they referred to in the parsha? How are they referred to? What's their connection to Dina? Achei Dina. They are referred to as the brothers of Dina. What these eleven sons failed to do for their father that left him vulnerable and damaged? And wounded, they now learned the lesson, they step up for Dina, they don't leave her alone, and they earn the title, they are the brothers of they are the brothers of, of Dina. So we saw many, many, many interpretations to review. Sefer Achinuch says, it's a lesson in the Jewish experience. Yaakov limped like we limped through Jewish history, but the sun rose on Yaakov's life and there will be redemption for us. Rav Kook said, we don't need to get an to remember that physical confrontation is the last resort. We avoid it and we prefer diplomacy, though we're prepared to do it. The Rishpam said, we don't need to get an asha to remember, to memorialize this miracle, the victory that Yaakov, though wounded, ultimately persevered, and walked away victorious. The Nitzv says, we don't need to get an asha to remember, that we have to be flexible. We can't be rigid like a reed, like a a cedar. We have to be flexible like a reed. We can't be kasha kigid. So we don't need to get an asha. Yaakov was kasha kigid. He... He returned to confrontation. It says Avek he wrestled twice because even when the first round was over he went back for a second round. He was rigid and that's why we don't eat the the Gid. So we saw the Netzev, the Sefer Achinach, Rav Kuk, the Rashbam, the Chizkuni. Did I leave anybody out? Kliyakar. The Kliyakar. Okay, Sarah really wants to see this Kliyakar. What does the Kliyakar say? The Kliyakar I saw, he gets into mystical reasons. The Gid is buried in Pardes and mystically, we don't go beneath the surface. I am not yet 40. My sister turned 40 yesterday. I am not yet 40. In two years when we do Vayishlach, we could do this Kliyakar. I am not eligible to share mysticism and Kabbalah with you yet. I am, I am way too young. Okay, but let's continue. Where was Yaakov's son? Where was? Yaakov's son. But I mean, well, many assume this was Yaakov's Sar. This was his own Yitzharah. That's what it means. It, that's a big discussion. Exactly. I'll tell you something. We'll end this section. I'll tell you something fascinating. Did this really happen? No. Did it really happen? How do we interpret when we go through Tanakh, When we go through the Chumash, and we get to whether it's the the. Um, Bilam and his donkey talking. Whether it's Yaakov wrestling with the angel, how are we to interpret to interpret these these events, these episodes? So this is a great debate among our medieval commentaries, among our Rishonim, and I love this debate because it allows, it makes room, it invites to the table. All types of Jews, the diversity of opinion. If you're a rationalist and you struggle to believe the, the, these, these things are meant to be taken literally and you want to understand them allegorically, this precedent. You have upon whom to rely. And if you want to take every word literally of the, of the Torah and believe that these things didn't happen allegorically, they happened literally, then there's upon whom to rely. So the Rambam writes in Nevuchim, wrestling match? No. Yaakov dreamt. He had a dream. This was all a dream, a premonition, a prophecy. In his dream, he confronted this sorrow, this, uh, he had this confrontation, he wrestled in his dream, and he woke up. Says the Ramban, this happened in reality. And the Ramban says, how do I know it happened in reality? How, is, how do I know the Ramban's wrong? He woke up with a limp. He has this limp. He has this injury in his thigh socket, and his sciatic nerve. He has sciatica. How did he get sciatica if it was just a dream? Says the Ramban. So the Ritva, who's a student of the Ramban, defends the Rambam, And the Ritva says, you know how he woke up with sciatica, even though it was just a dream and meant to be taken allegorically? It's called psychosomatic. We have psychosomatic... uh, There are people who have psychosomatic um, symptoms. Where the symptoms don't reflect or correspond with something real. The symptoms are psychosomatic. I have a family member very close to us who every time they visit they they get a terrible stomach ache when when they're about to leave We, we joke about it, we make fun of it at this point and where does that stomach ache come from? Is it coincidental that they ate something uh, they disagree with or they get a virus every time they're about to leave and go back and, and leave their grandchildren, let us say? No, it's not. Is it is it is it a, an illness that could be diagnosed? No, it's psychosomatic. It's the sadness of departing from grandchildren causes a stomach ache. There are psychosomatic disorders, psychosomatic symptoms. It says the for this was psychosomatic. The dream was so vivid. The dream was so real. The dream left such an... Indelible impact on Yaakov that he woke up feeling this sciatic pain. He felt this neuropathy as a result of this of this uh, of this dream. So it's fascinating. Just as an aside, this debate between the Rambam and the Ramban really throughout the Torah. Did did Bilam and his donkey really talk? Rambam says no. That was a prophecy, it's a dream, it's metaphoric, it's allegoric, it's meant to teach us something, it didn't happen in reality. Where the Ramban is a literalist, he means no, it is meant to be taken, it's meant to be taken literally. Okay, let's go, in the next 10 minutes I want to just cover, I don't know if we're going to get all the way.
1: 9.53, yes. lesson
0: Exactly. Why did he ask the angel to leave him this blessing before he departed? That's a great question. We talked about it a little bit last year. But he asks him for a blessing in a very no no. It's okay. You could listen online. He asks him in a very unusual fashion. He doesn't just ask him for a blessing. There's this whole confrontation, this whole conversation here, where they ask his names. Right? I'm not sending you on your way until you give me a blessing. You got to give me a bracha so the angel says you want a blessing what's your name now does the angel ever give him the blessing what happens here Yaakov says I'm not letting you go until you bless me the angel says, "What's your name?" He says, "Yaakov." He says Yaakov is not your name anymore. It's Yisrael, Kisa Risa, Malokim, Vimanashim. You wrestled and you persevered. Yaakov says, "Okay, I gave you my name. What's your name?" And the angel says, "What do you need my name for?" Vayivarechos Hashem. He blesses him and he goes. Did he ever give him the bracha? It says Vayivarechos. So, but what's the bracha? What's the bracha? So you could read this. The conversation is very funny. When Yaakov first demands a blessing, the angel says, What's your name? You could read this. What was the blessing? When he said, "What?" He said, What's your name? He said, Yaakov, look into your destiny. Look into who you are. Realize your potential. Understand who you are. And that is the blessing. I'm not sending you till you bless me. You want a bracha? What's your name? understand who you are, where you come from, realize your potential. Yaakov. He says, it's no longer Yaakov, it's Yisrael. Giving him his name, understanding what the name represents, understanding that your name is a description of who you are and who you can become, that in itself is the blessing. So when it says later, when it says later, he blessed him, it's not that he then gave the blessing. The blessing was the very fact that he gave the name. That's what some of the Mepharshim understand. So when he says to the angel, What's your name? And the angel says, What do you need to know my name? What kind of a response is that? So my friend Avi Schneider, Rabbi Avi Schneider, once suggested, the angel was saying that is his name. Lama Zetishal Shmi, my name is, why do you need to know my name? And he had a whole, he had a whole Rabbi Schneider had a whole forward about that. But but according to what we're saying, according to what we're saying, it could mean the angel is saying. I'm an angel. I don't need a blessing. You don't need to know my name. My name is in, is not important because as an angel I'm an extension of the Almighty. I don't I don't realize potential. As an angel I'm stagnant. I am what I am. Angels don't grow. They don't have ups and downs. That's why the God didn't give the Torah. Lobashamayimi, the Malachi Asharis weren't given the Torah. Angels don't have this potential. So what the angel was saying in Lama why are you asking my name? What the angel was saying is, I don't have potential. I am what I am. There's no, it's it's, it's not, it's incongruous to, to describe giving me a blessing. Notice, Yaakov didn't understand that when the angel said, what's your name, that was the blessing. So Yaakov in turn says, what's your name? And the angel says, no, you don't get it. Your name is a blessing. My name is unimportant. It's insignificant. It's irrelevant. Because I'm not subject to blessing. I'm an angel. And so possibly, Helen, that's the exchange that's going on back and forth. Okay, there was a lot more I wanted to talk about. we sometimes calling Yaakov and sometimes Right. The Gemara and Brachos says, those that did the Dafyomi, the Gemara says, when it comes to Avram and Yitzchak, I'm sorry, when it comes to Avram and Sarah, once their names were changed, we're prohibited from calling their name again. The exception is Yaakov. Yaakov is sometimes Yaakov and sometimes Yisrael. Tosos there and that Gemara talks about why. I refer you to it. Your husband learns Dafyomi. He can tell it to you afterwards. I'll leave you with a question. I'll leave you with a question to ponder over Shabbos. What I wanted to continue with what we'll pick up next year is the conversation that ensues now between Yaakov and Esav. They finally are reunited. Oh, I forgot that last interpretation from the author of the Bible quarterly, who suggested the Gid HaNasha and comes from to forget. The Gid HaNasha may be the Gid that allowed Yaakov to forget so he could be reunited. And we suggested the opposite. No, the Gid that didn't allow him to forget so that when he reunited with Esau, he would remain suspicious. He would never forget the eternal conflict with Esau. So I forgot those two interpretations to our list. We saw eight or ten different interpretations. So at the end of Yaakov reuniting with Esau, It says, Where does Yaakov go right away? The Yaakov nasa sukkosa. The very first time we see a reference to the concept of sukkah in the Torah. So for his flock he built sukkos. What was it about the conversation between him and Esav which caused him to go specifically to a sukkah rather to a house? That's what I want to leave you to think about. Why is Yaakov going to a sukkah rather to a house? Uh, why do we see the introduction of the concept of a sukkah specifically after the reunion that he experiences with his brother, Esau. Something to think about over Shabbos.